Richard Baxter was a pastor in England in the 1600s. Kind of old school Puritan pastor whose sermons went on for two hours and used words a lot bigger than I use. Thank you very much. Pretty much Richard Baxter's whole adult life was spent battling sickness after sickness. He was constantly harassed uh, by a cough that never went away, uh, by recurring nosebleeds, by persistent migraine headaches for uh, decades, for numerous digestive ailments, kidney stones, gallstones, just to name a few of the kinds of things that were constant battles for him. Richard Baxter also, though, believed in supernatural healing and said that, that, that several times he was restored to fruitful labor for the kingdom because of God's direct intervention for him. There was one time, he said, there was this large tumor uh, in his throat that, that seemed to vanish while he was in the pulpit speaking of God's mercies in his own life. Mostly, though, he suffered to the end of his days. He once said that at the age of 21, from that time forward, he was seldom free of pain for one hour at a time until he died much later. Baxter said that this, this constant suffering made him intensely conscious of how temporary life is and how inevitable death is. Once when he was 35, he was bound to his bed by a disease that looked, at as, if, looked as if it would take his life. Uh, so he laid there in bed and he meditated on the joys of heaven and the age to come in preparation for his death that he thought was inevitable. So he focused especially on this, this hope of glory, which is a phrase that, that Paul uses. It's a phrase from Colossians 1. The hope of glory. And he began, began to write his thoughts as he focused on the hope of glory and, and eventually as he recovered, his thoughts became a book called The Saints Everlasting Rest, which has been in print ever since. But even after he recovered, he continued this practice of meditating on heaven every day. And began to do that for 30 minutes a day to focus his thoughts on the life to come. And suggested the same thing to his readers in this book, The Saints' Everlasting Rest. He said this. We have this in your study notes and on the screen for you. He says, If you would have light and heat, why are you not more in the sunshine? For want of this recourse to heaven, your soul is as a lamp not lighted, and your duty as a sacrifice without fire. Fetch one coal daily from this altar, he says, and see if your offering will not burn. Keep close to this reviving fire and see if your affections will not be warm. Baxter has given us good advice. Paul gives us scriptural precedent for this in Colossians 3, 1-4. through He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And on the screen, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Colossians 3, 1-4, thank you, say, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand 
of God. The next verse, verse 2, says, Set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears again, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Verse 2, Paul says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Friends, Scripture calls us to live with a mindset that lives out of the truth that we are citizens of another age. We are citizens of another world. There's this common expression that we've probably used and we've all heard that I'm sure you know that goes like this. Don't be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good. We speak dismissively of someone who has their head in the clouds, we say. It's the kind of thing that we say when we speak of somebody who seems to have little practical good. I'm here today to tell you that the Bible tells us the exact opposite of that. That according to Revelation 21, the saying should be, you must be heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. This is the lesson of Revelation. John has been persecuted. He's been attempted to be killed multiple times. And he sits there in exile on the island of Patmos, writing this book of eminent earthly and eternal value because preeminently he has his head in the clouds. You must be heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Which is the truth of Scripture and the truth of Revelation. So please, please join with me and with Scripture today, in rejecting the ridiculous idea that dwelling on the beauty and the greatness of the age to come makes a person less useful for today. That's a lie. In fact, exactly the opposite is the case. So today there are four ways, there are four ways in which God will make all things new that emerge from our passage today because we have been helped to set our mind on things above like John is here we're taking our cue here mostly from verse 5 where it says behold I am making all things new that is God speaking from the throne behold I am making all things new the first of the four things that he's making new is he's making us spiritually and morally new those are the first couple blanks in your outline and we'll fill these in as we go along spiritually and morally new God is going to make us spiritually and morally new and glorious. That's the first way. The, the greatest frustration of this world, friends, is simply put that we still sin. That's the greatest frustration of this world. While we are no longer, after we have been clothed with Christ's righteousness, after we've been counted as justified before God, while we are no longer defined or identified with sin, we still struggle against this body of flesh through which and by which we sin. Romans 7 describes that struggle, that frustration well. Romans 7, 22 and 23, great verses if you want to note those later on. They say this, this is Paul speaking Romans 7. It says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in other words, in my body, in my flesh, 
another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, in my body. This kind of war is the most frustrating part of life. At least it is for the, for the children of God who are most truly citizens of another world, another age. We want, to be, we want to be holy and to live godly lives, but we fall short of the holiness we long for. We want to be kind and loving people, but we say mean and hurtful things. We want to worship with passion and be fervent in our prayers but we often feel cold and lifeless. And so we become people keenly aware, keenly aware of our messed up and sinful bent this side of heaven. Because we know Jesus, we long for deliverance from this tendency towards sin. That is part of what God promises when He promises to make all things new. We will be made spiritually and morally new. Not just partially as, as now, but entirely and completely new. Look at verse 2. It says this in verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is a picture of the church, the body of Christ, prepared and made beautiful for her husband, Jesus Christ. Now when God makes all things new, He makes the church, the people of God, spiritually and morally beautiful and prepared for being fully connected to His Son. Look at the way this is described in verses 9-11 through 11 here in the same chapter. We'll pick up verse 9 later on next week, but I want to point this out in verses 9-11. through 11. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And then it says, Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. So the holy city Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God, which is the same image used in verse 2 that we just read. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. When God makes the bride ready for His Son, the way He does it is by giving us His glory. It says the city prepared as a bride comes down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, it says in verse 11. Having the glory of God. This glory will purify us so deeply and so thoroughly that we will be like, as Scripture says here, a clear jewel. Being spiritually and morally impure is the greatest frustration in the world. Friends, don't you, don't you long for the day when you will be so good and so right and so pure that people will look at you and see straight through you and will see no impurity at all. Nothing that has to be hidden. Nothing about which you'll have to be ashamed. That's what it's like to be morally and spiritually new. 
That's the first way God is making all things new, making us spiritually and morally beautiful for our marriage with the Son, Jesus. Second way is that God is going to make us physically and bodily new. Not only is it a spiritual purity, it's also a physical and bodily purity. Verse 4 is what points us in this direction. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more death, no more pain, no more tears, perhaps tears of joy. What this means is that the body, as we know it now, has to be made new and different. Because right now it dies, it hurts, it cries. If death is gone and pain is gone and tears are gone, then the body as we know it here is likewise gone. Now for the philosophers among us, this may sound like the Greek conception that the body is bad and keeps our spirits from being free, but this is not saying here in Revelation that the body is bad. This is not a good riddance to the body of pain. Though that may be what you feel like saying to express the pain. But Revelation is saying that God will make all things new, including the physical body. This is how Paul puts it in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. This is how he says it there. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. Romans 6 5, a great verse, says it this way For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, now I realize that there are many who feel like they didn't get a fair shake when the, when the bodies were being passed out. Uh, seriously, though, some. Some have bodily deformities or some other reason that means that they especially experience this brokenness of their body. Some who have lost limbs or paralyzed or can't hear or can't see or experience the body breaking down. God has, though, no intention of leaving the body in that condition for those who trust Him. God does not intend to leave anyone who trusts Him with pain and disability because when we understand what God has planned for us, in other words, when we've set our mind on things above, when all things are made new, we realize that we will also experience a physical and a bodily newness that has to be present for us to experience all the other kinds of newness. Remember we've talked about in Revelation that every spiritual truth has literal consequences. So the first truth we've talked about today of being spiritually and morally pure has to have a place where that happens. And that's the second point, which is this, that there's a physical and a bodily newness. You can't have just number one or just number two. They have to be together. The third way that God makes all things new is the new creation. The new creation. The next blank in your outline there. God is going to make the creation new 
and glorious. This is the, the point of verse 1, if you want to look there real quick. Look at this amazing first verse. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, I don't think this means that God is going to, to whisk us up and take us to a new solar system. There are some who do think that. And obviously God could do that if He wanted to. Uh, but, but the hope of the prophets in Scripture, if you want to do your homework on this, the hope of the prophets in Scripture seems to be that this earth and these heavens, which is a Jewish expression meaning everything in all creation, that the heavens and the earth will be made new. God will renew He will renovate everything in all creation. Paul said it this way in Romans 8.21. Romans 8.21, if you want to look that up later. It says, The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. A freedom that is like the glory of the children of God who are morally pure and have experienced new bodies. This means that God promises that the glory of His people will demand a glorious creation to live in. It's parallel to the idea that God's glory is so great that He cannot live anywhere other than a perfect creation. So what this means for us, what this means is this. Fallen creation will obtain the very freedom from futility and evil and pain that the people of God are likewise given. When God renews, it's not just our inner spirits. It's not just our bodies. It will be all of creation as the the place in which the saved people of God, His family, His children will live with Him forever. He's not done renewing and He will fully and finally complete that as we're learning today. So when God makes all things new, He makes us new spiritually and morally. He makes us new physically. And then He takes the whole creation and makes it new so that our environment fits our perfected spirits and bodies. Which leaves us one last work of renewing. When God makes all things new, and it's a precious truth, the fourth one today is a new relationship with God. A new relationship with God. We see this here in verse 3. In Revelation 21 it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. Now it's, it's already true that, that God is with us now. Emmanuel, God with us, came in the person of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us that His Spirit dwells in us. In Matthew 28.20, Jesus promised never to leave us, and He said even to the end of the age. But also in 2 Corinthians 5.6-7, if you want to take notes and look that up later, 2 Corinthians 5.6-7, Paul said, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are yet away from the Lord. Which is why we walk by faith and not by sight. So for the believer in Christ, there is this deep and even painful sense in which we are, as, God, as Paul said there in verse 6, we are away from the Lord. We do not see as we one day will see. 
Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, so for they will see God. This is a promise that something greater is coming for all of us in our relationship with God. I'm sure those of you all who are parents have experienced the kind of thing where you're at a parade or, or at a, some, something with a large crowd and the kids can't see and they, they tug on you and they say, hey, hey daddy, I, I can't see, I, I can't see. So we hoist them up to see. We hoist them up to see what's going on. Friends, Revelation is hoisting us up to see. To see the truth of reality of who God is and what He's doing. Chapter 22, verse 4 says, They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. We will enjoy perfect and beautiful and intimate communion with God. A new relationship with Him. When God makes all things new, He will make us spiritually and morally pure, physically and bodily new and give us that glory. He will renovate all creation and He will Himself come to us and let us see His face in a new and a perfect relationship in a way that we can't yet. So that forever and ever we will live with pure hearts and glorious bodies on a new earth in the presence and the glory of our Heavenly Father. Here's the rub. The man or the woman who knows that his or her glorious destiny awaits will be free to live a radical life of love and sacrifice here on earth. We're shown the throne room so that we will see clearly to know our destiny in Christ so that we are enabled to live a radical abandonment today knowing there's nothing to lose. If somebody falls out of an airplane with no parachute and you don't have one either, you probably aren't going to jump out after them. It wouldn't, it wouldn't do any good. But if someone jumps out of an airplane and you have a parachute on, you might just try one of those awesome rescue attempts and free fall like a bullet to catch the helpless and pull your cord. It is the hope of safety in the end that releases radical sacrifice now. It is the hope 
of safety in the end. The picture revealed to us. It is the hope of safety in the end that releases radical sacrifice and love now. Paul said in Colossians, the first chapter, verses 4 and 5, he said, We have heard of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Listen carefully, friends. It's the assurance of the hope of heaven that releases radical, risk-taking love. That makes people look at your life and ask for the reason for the hope that is in you, 1 Peter 3. What do these people see when they ask that? They see you jumping out of an airplane to save another person because you know where you will land because you have a parachute. They say, how can you jump out of the comfort and the safety of the airplane? (laughs) Friends, the sold out believer in Christ who knows where he or she ends up, where he or she is going, will inevitably answer, I have a parachute called the hope of glory. Knowing knowing the hope of safety and renewal in Christ for us in glory is available is what releases radical, sacrificial love now and means that we can be enabled to live for the Gospel in whatever possible way that God is calling us. So let not the world and your earthly fears hinder what God's calling you to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we...